This episode is sponsored by our friends at Dukan. Launch your online store in 30 seconds. No coding or design skills required. Whether you are a small business trying to go online, a teacher looking to set up digital presence, or you just want to sell a goat, Dukan is your one-stop solution. At the start of the pandemic, when small businesses were struggling, Dukan helped over a million merchants move from offline to online. Founder of Dukan is also a billion moonshots alumni. He shared his story of making $25,000 per month in college to now building a $100 million startup. So start your 14-day free trial now at mydukan.io. Aditi, you have a very unconventional story of breaking into product management and you started with Rapido. Now you are a product manager too at Razorpay. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the story, how you broke into product. Sure. So I think this goes back to when I was in college um, in third year. And I'll talk a bit about how I discovered this role because back then product management wasn't as popular as it's today. So I was interning at Zoho where I was supposed to build an automation system for a grocery store that Zoho had. Um, in their offices um, in Chennai. So um, my job was to, you know, automate the whole checkout process, um, you know, like Amazon does today. But um, and, and at that point of time, there was no product manager mapped to that project. So I was supposed to do all the research and then eventually go ahead and write the code for it. It also involved a, you know, um, good amount of machine learning, which was very cool that time. It's cool today also, but it was just, mm. you know, like um, starting to tend um, you know, amongst engineering uh, students at that time. So I was very excited for it. But while coding uh, and also acting as a PM there, I realized that, hey, this is what I'm, you know, I, I'd probably enjoy more than programming. And my, my manager at that time never really said it's a product role. So I didn't know that I'm doing a PM's job. I just knew that I'm talking to customers uh, who were like uh, Zoho employees. And I was talking to, you know, them to understand the problem. And I just Googled that, you know, what is this role where you get to do a lot of problem discovery and problem solving? And I think in the Google search results, one of the courses or courses on product management ranked. And that's how I discovered, okay, this role actually exists and there is something called product management. Since then, I, you know, I have been trying to pursue product management. This was like final year of college, um, got rejected by a bunch of companies because, um, I, I think the reason I got rejected was because I didn't do a lot of homework when it came to researching about the role. I knew that this is what I want to do, but doing the job and cracking an interview are like two different skills. So later on, I figured out that, hey, you know, I should probably prepare more for the interviews, um, which I did, uh, which I did and, you know, still um, got rejected. Um, and I now, you know, a year passed, like final year was just uh, going to get over and I was in Bangalore. So, um, and this was the first time, you know, I was completely living alone in the city. Um, Chennai was also alone, but, you know, I had like college friends. So there was a lot of shared context. It was not like alone, alone, but Bangalore was like completely new living on what you make. Um, you know, I was interning that time. Uh, and I, I, I happened to be at, um, Core Mangla, which is like a very busy place in Bangalore, a lot of like restaurants over there. And I noticed a lot of delivery boys, um, you know, mm-hmm. just crowded um, in that area. And I realized that while growing up, there weren't so many delivery executives. Like you wouldn't like you wouldn't see more, um, you know, customers, uh, sorry, more delivery boys um, than customers outside a restaurant, right? That's that's unusual. I know we have gotten accustomed to seeing that today. But at that point of time, I was surprised. I just went and had a conversation with a few of them that, hey, like, what did you do before this job existed? Like, 
thanks to Siggy and Zomato um, and a lot of other players who have created a lot of such roles uh, for um, blue collar folks. But this didn't exist, um, let's say, um, a decade ago. So what were they doing back then? Um, and what would they do if not this? So that is what I try to um, understand. And the conversations were so interesting that after speaking to one of them, I wanted to have more conversations with uh, delivery executives. And this led me to the idea that, you know, why not, you know, pseudo deliver with them, go wherever they are going to deliver orders and just, you know, uh, spend the day living the life they live. Um, so I, st I did this for a day and I actually enjoyed it because it's always fun to ride a scooter. And I was like, obviously with their consent, following the delivery partners and experiencing everything they experienced. Like in theory, it's okay to, you know, uh, empathize that, okay, it's raining, it's hard for the delivery executive. Uh, customer doesn't have um, change. It's a challenge for them, but actually going and experiencing it, it was altogether a different, gave me a different perspective. And I did this for seven days for a week, um, spoke to 22 delivery partners. Um, while I was doing this, I actually, uh, one of the delivery partners from Zomato um, had an order from a cafe in HSR. So I went um, with him and while we were waiting for the order to be prepared, um, I just, you know, recorded a short testimonial and he mentioned that he's actually um, doing this job so that he can collect some money and start a fish pedicure um, thing in Bangalore. So I was amazed that, you know, this is this is really ambitious because it's completely new to him. He hasn't done it before. And he's actually like hustling to collect the money so that he can start his business. Um, and I was I was so like um, impressed and happy about just getting the chance to record the video and talk to him. And while this was happening, um, you know, a person walked to me and he mentioned that he asked me, you know, why I'm doing this. And um, I thought it was like, it's normal in Bangalore to, you know, for people to talk to each other and network. So he thought I was from Zomato and that's why I was recording our testimonial. So I explained that, hey, I'm just like an intern. Uh, this is my like last year of college. So I'm just like doing it for out of curiosity for research. And he said, um, this is good. Why, uh, you know, if possible, can you share your findings with us? So I said, sure, but can you tell more about yourself? And um, he mentioned that he works at Rapido. I just assume that he is a software engineer. Um, yeah. And um, then um, I think a few days uh, later, I pinged him that, hey, my deck is ready. Do you want to see it? And I presented that deck to the entire team at Rapido. Uh, they really liked it. And um, after that, uh, I asked him like straight question that, do you have any APM roles? And they said, yes. Turns out the person who I'd met uh, was Rapido's founder. And like, I was grateful for the opportunity. I got hired the next day and started working the day after. So I, I think this, this, this was like one of the turning points in life because one of the biggest learning I had through this experience is that if you like, if you want to get lucky, you have to get out of your house. Like it, you can't sit and do nothing and wait for something amazing to happen. Um, I was doing it with no, I had no idea this would happen, right? I just did it because it was fun. I genuinely enjoyed doing it. And, um, I mean, it just works out. So that's, that's how really I cool. broke into product management. That is really cool. Uh, what was your experience at Rapido? Uh, were you expecting like, so you, we basically read a lot about product management that, okay, you have to do roadmap planning, you have to do vision planning, stuff like that. And then there's a the real job where you are maybe just talking to engineer, trying to understand some concepts, stuff like that. So what was the difference between like uh, reality versus expectations for you? Oh, a lot. Um, you know, I thought because 
I, I actually thought I'll be an amazing PM because mm. I can empathize with customers. I I naturally empathize with people. I, I have you know I'm good with people, so I thought I'll be great in doing this job. But you know, like recently, a few days back, I was looking at the first PRD I wrote, and it was so bad, so bad that <laughs> I I wouldn't have hired myself if I was interviewing myself from three years ago. I wouldn't have hired myself. It was so bad. So I think working at Rapido gave me a good reality check that hey, like I have to work hard. It's not like I've got this role and that's it. There's so 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 much more to learn, and um, that that was a great experience where you know I was actually instead of just reading. So so far I was just reading books and watching videos online, doing the courses about product management. This was my first hands-on experience, so was very grateful for that opportunity. And yes, it's it's very different from. um you know what you hear and what your first perception about the role is um but i wouldn't say it's less fun so my expectation that i'll enjoy this role was completely met right definitely and then after rapido you moved to bounce were you did yeah. you have like special interest with the mobility space yes i i was so i loved like working in the mobility industry and i truly believe that it would make a significant change and um you know in a city like bangalore where commute is such a big problem even in a city like uh, you know pune for example commute is not solved as a problem and then there were like companies like bounce there was vogo in 2018 and 19 um rising and doing so well and like bounce was really a lifesaver i was a bounce customer even before i started working at bounce so um yeah i i was like i want i was sure i wanted to work in the mobility space but unfortunately covid happened and you know mobility completely took a hit so yeah but i think i still feel there's a lot that can be solved um, you know considering today's scenario with uh, so many cancellations um, happening with ola and uber not being able to commute easily within the city is still a big problem i think there's a lot that could be done even today right i actually used to research a lot about micro mobility in general because i was also super curious about this industry especially in india like where uh, yeah the traffic is an issue you have to figure out that okay how to go from point a to point b in the most yeah. uh, is it in the cheapest way possible uh, so i'm very curious so what do you think is what are some interesting things that you're excited about in the mobility space even though i know you're not no more in mobility space but what are some things that you are excited about i think i'm still like you know um excited about how last mile commute first mile and last mile commute can be solved because um you know that that i know like companies like bounce yolo uh, try to do that yolo is still trying to do it um but you know the fact that um there's yolo shifted from a b2c model to a b2b model now you see a lot of swiggy and zomato delivery executives uh riding the e scooters um i still want to see how you know this would work in the consumer market that is one thing uh also very excited about ev and how the economics would balance between you know like um petrol diesel vehicles and ev how would that work um i think ev can bring a big change uh for for both uh businesses and consumers so that is something i'm pretty excited about and also like always been a bounce fan so since bounce also pivoted to ev i'm really excited about bounce infinity and see it grow Okay, makes sense. I have never used Bounce because I'm from Surat, and in Surat we don't have as of now these sort of startups who are really pushing for micro mobility. But uh, what what happened? Like, what was the strategy of Bounce during COVID, and how have they adapted now? I think Bounce, um, you know, a lot of lot of startups pivoted to doing grocery, um, you know, during um, COVID because everyone wanted home deliveries. No one was stepping out. But I think what Bounce did was think long term. they didn't hmm. just pivot they didn't take that impulsive decision and like instantly pivot to something they took like a long term decision 
pivoted to something that was evolving and would be sustainable for the future uh, so i think that that was a very very wise thing to do to pivot to ev and um, i think bounds as a company has always been um, you know technology first because we we built like dockless scooters bluetooth first scooters you know so everything was like smart tech so it completely makes sense for um, you know someone like a bounds to build ev scooters because it it has always thought from a tech first point of view that makes sense and now after bounce you moved to razorpay what was that process like uh how was it how hard was it to crack into razorpay so uh before moving to razorpay i had a short stint at an edtech company called lido so i moved from lido to razorpay um so i think um i i actually uh, connected to a few people at razorpay they said they had an opening so you know i forwarded my resume interviews were scheduled i think um to be honest um i i on i feel that interviewing and being a product manager are two very different skills so mm. um and i like throughout my journey being a pm i had understood this very well so and i i mean i if you like interview processes are pretty standard so if you're good at communication if you're structured and like being structured comes from you know like taking time to think and then answering and if you're like rational in your day to day life it's not that hard to crack a product management interview it's hard when you do it for the first time because there are so many unknowns but when you have also been on the other side of the table interviewed folks and you know that you know these are like things that you should do and these are the things you shouldn't do it's not that big of a challenge the challenging part is how you do your job how much ownership you show how do you you know like keep your stakeholders happy so i think yeah i mean um, interviewing with, with razor pay was a delight the process was very smooth um, got a chance to speak with like the top um, industry leaders um, i think razor pay has done a great job in hiring um, you know like every everyone in my team who i work with um, are so so talented people and um, i mean that is one of the reasons i wanted to be um, a part of a company like razor pay because when you are surrounded by you know by such amazing people such hard working people uh you tend to you know upskill yourself you tend to become a better person than what you were so for me it was very important for my growth that i'm surrounded by such people who are constantly uh you know pushing for my growth so i think that that has been a delight definitely the environment matters so much like once you graduate you realize that okay now you're no more in university you're no more surrounded by a lot of help now you have to figure out your own environment that works for you so very interesting uh, i'm curious can you share like what was the assignment or case study you got for a sub interview oh yes um so there were four rounds um the first one was i think product understanding in general so um there were a couple of questions one was that you know if you are a pm at instagram how would you improve the engagement um then the other one was what's your favorite product and i'd answered swiggy um okay. so the follow up question was that what do you think is like the fundamental difference between swiggy and zomato's business model um and yeah i i think the other questions that were asked on that interview is that how do you keep learning how do you ensure you're continuously learning what are the things you do uh for that um yeah i guess these three questions in the second round it was more about product strategy so you know if uh, the question was if uber wanted to create a marketplace for um, drivers and customers or you can actually um, hire a driver for a few hours or a day or even for a month uh, first of all should uber get into this market um, if yes then what would be the you know mvp and go to market strategy so these okay. were the two wow. questions and that's that's um, a very interesting question yeah uh, then the third round was on you know like um 
technical understanding so questions were around you know how do you think about building products for up you know from a platform point of view uh, and not just like at a feature level how do you enable the usage of the same product by multiple teams across the company because i was uh, interviewing for the platform bu within database so it made sense to ask that question um and yeah i think the final round was you know hiring manager round which was more about you know if you are a culture fit um, um behavioral fit and those things and you know why why are you even um, ambitious to work at database does that meet like what i am looking for does that meet what database can give me so yeah interesting i actually want to go through those questions because as a product manager it's always cool to like you know riff off with other pms about how they think about different strategies so how would you increase instagram's engagement like what did you answer and what do you change your answer today um so honestly in these interviews there's no right answer to the question right. right because i don't have the data as much as an instagram real instagram pm would have i don't have those customer insights what essentially um evaluator is looking to see is that is your approach correct are you covering hmm. all the things that you should look at as a pm so um most common mistakes that any pm makes during interviews is they think about the solutions honestly it would like only a genius can give the right answers and there's no way to validate i might tell you let's build this feature and instagram's engagement would increase but how can you or i validate it like there's no way neither does the interview have that insight not a, not as um the interviewee right so um the approach really matters and the first step is to you know care about the problem obviously the solution is the most interesting part you get to build you get to ship but caring about the problem shows that you actually are deeply interested in it so you know talk about the problem talk about who you are building it for what are the challenges they face what are their pain points um the problem that you are talking about is it the first problem in the list or the 10th problem on the list right so you know prioritize their problems as well and once you do all these things you you basically understand your customers you understand their challenges then you prioritize it that is when you start thinking about the solution right and once you have thought about the solution the next step is to actually think about how will you validate this solution so thinking what what's the metric you would uh, track um what and i mean metrics are never objectives so you can never say that you know it's my objective to improve let's say nps it's it cannot it's your objective to give a good experience nps is a way to measure it right so you know making sure that you talk about what metrics you are aiming for after you have spoken about the problem and the solution so i think that's that's the right way to approach it there's no right answer i genuinely don't know how i will improve uh, instagram's engagement but i know that if given as a problem statement this is how i would approach it Yeah, totally makes sense. And I'm actually curious. Uh, what did you think about the question that okay, what's the fundamental difference between Swiggy and Zomato? Okay. Um. So I think Swiggy has everything Swiggy does is um you know uh surrounded um around the fleet, which is the bikes and the delivery executives. So they want to do everything that a person with a scooter or a bike or any two wheeler can do, right? Uh. On the other hand, Zomato wants to do everything. with restaurants you know like um the whole idea of launching zomato bold now they have a um you know uh, edition card with in partnership with rbl bank so they their focus is all around um, restaurants on the other hand what swiggy wants to do is to everything um related to whatever a person can do uh, with a two wheeler like groceries now they have also launched swiggy mini stores which is like direct partnerships with you know um stores and d2c brands so Yeah, I think I think that's the fundamental difference. 
I think that's very interesting and that makes a lot of sense because even I think Zomato recently released, I'm not sure about what's the current update, but once I read that, Zomato is trying to uh, also help uh, restaurants get the raw materials easily for all their food. So yes, that's true. Their focus is really on restaurants and Swiggy. Again, it's sort of copying Dunzo with all the other like, you know, delivery features uh, that delivering medicine, delivering other stuff. So it's interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say copying. I would say it, it, you know, when you have a fleet, you have a supply, you would want to find ways to utilize this supply, right? Hmm. And just having one way of utilizing um, that supply, which is like food deliveries is not enough. So it's a natural consequence of that to think what are the other things I can make my supply uh, do so that it, you know, um, they have enough utilization. You wouldn't want your fleet to be unutilized. And then, like I said, it's a natural consequence to think about, um, you know, grocery delivery, think about uh, instead of doing it from dark stores, partnering directly with the, you know, um, hyper-local stores, um, maybe in future doing laundry, pharmacy. Um, so it's, it's like, it totally makes sense. So, I mean, it's not like they, I, I wouldn't say they copied it. I would say. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> makes yeah. sense. Now at Razorpay, you are building the Razorpay Rise program. So can you talk more about that? That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's my favorite part, actually. Um, so, um, you know, any founder decides to start a company because they are very passionate about a problem statement. They might have faced it themselves or someone in the family or friends. Uh, but starting a company and solving a problem are two very different skills. So when they actually start a company, they realize, oh, I'm caught up in 10 different things which I didn't even opt for. For example, hiring, fundraising, company incorporation, and so many more things, you know, like payroll, et cetera. Now, Razorpay Rise wants to be that program or that, that support system that helps with all the non-core tasks that a founder has to do because the core task is solving that problem. You know, for example, if I'm building a sales CRM, that's my core problem statement. But as a founder, I'll end up spending like half of my day in hiring or fundraising, not just half a day, in fact, weeks and months. So uh, we want to help founders with every non-core task that they do. And, um, you know, I, I actually am a fan of founder persona. I think um, founders, um, especially in the tech um, ecosystem, are the ones who will take India to, um, you know, um, $5 trillion economy. And um, so that, that's why I really enjoy building what I'm building right now at Razorpay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it has been, like, I've, I've like, building Rise since day zero when it was just an idea to the first launch, which was a closed beta, to a full launch um, in December last year. So like I've seen like all phases of it and we are like growing very fast. So yeah, something that I'm pretty excited about and keeps me motivated on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Right. So when would you engage with a startup? Is that at the very early stage? Is that after a particular round of funding? Uh, when does Razor Pay Rise come into the picture? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, uh, we are very certain about what kind of startups we want to um, add to the program. And specifically, they are the ones who have just started. So uh, most of the startups we accept have not even raised funds or are planning to raise funds. Um, the idea is to back them from day zero. Once you raise funds, maybe you do like a 1 million, um, you know, seed round or even a 5 million round. Uh, you have access to a lot of things, uh, which, you know, you, you make those connects, you know, the VPs, they help you connect with other people. So a lot of unknowns become knowns, but that's not the case for someone who's just starting up, not even has raised around. So we want to help those people. So essentially, um, you know, ideal, um, I would say persona is someone who has made up their mind that they are certain they want to be an entrepreneur and it's their day zero and they are starting. So uh, yeah, someone like that. Okay, interesting. And I'm just curious, are there any juicy facts about like, you know, a founder going the normal route versus founder going to raise a pay rise? What has changed? Like what's the difference? I think um, 
I think this I would I would actually ask this question to the founders, but I mean, what has changed for them? But from my observation, um, you know, things things get easier. Like this this program makes a lot of things accessible, which otherwise were still accessible, but not so easily. So for, just to give an example, we conduct a lot of events with industry experts, right? Now you might obviously DM that person and you know block their calendars if they are open to doing that and learn from them. But here it gets so easy because you are part of the program. You are directly getting to chat with those people, ask questions, uh, take help. Um, so you know, take help from other founders. I think community building a community for founders is our biggest bet because we believe that putting people in the shared space uh, with same goals, same interests, and same ambitions um, will help. You know, it it will just amplify um, their whole experience as a founder. So they taking help from other founders and helping other founders is the um, environment we want to set in the community. So I think these things are something that um, enhances uh, an entrepreneur's journey because you know that you're not the only one going through what you're going through. Definitely. When Shashank was on the podcast, he basically mentioned about Y Combinator and he basically mentioned that, yeah, it's not that these resources are not out there. If you can Google, you can Google, you can definitely have them. It's just that it's organized and it's being fed into your brains constantly that, okay, yes. you have now all the resources and now you have to only focus on growth of your actual yes. startup. Yes. I think today it's more important to curate content than create it because mm-hmm. there is already so much, but it's just hard to find the right ones online. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think I like to write a lot. And sometimes I think that, yeah, curating ha- would have a much more impact than just creating all like individual content. Yeah. Let's talk about your no code journey now. Like when did you first get introduced to no code? Oh, this was at Bounce. So, you know, I was working um, for a pod, which didn't have a lot of engineering bandwidth. So uh, we, whenever we had to prioritize features, we debated uh, between whether it's a consumer-facing feature or a internal-facing feature, and obviously prioritize what's consumer-facing because building for consumers comes first. And internally, you can always manage with some kind of, you know, like hacks. Uh, but I, at the same time, I also felt that, you know, uh, the internal stakeholders, for example, the marketing team, the customer support team, um, they could have, they can be more efficient at what they do if we gave them the right tools, if we build the right products for them. And that's when one of my colleagues said he introduced me to a local tool called Retool. That's what my, that mm. was my like first proper experience using a local no code tool. And Sid and I both made like a bunch of dashboards, like over 80, I suppose. Um, Built, built these tools for, um, you know, customer support team for processing refunds, raising a refund request, uh, verifying KYC, and everything was done. Since it was a local tool, we still needed engineering bandwidth. It was done um, with the help of a shared bandwidth of an engineer. So we didn't even have like one full dedicated engineer, but we were able to build so much. And we were able, we had like stats showing us that the work the teams were doing had um, you know, become much faster and more, they, they had gotten more efficient. So it saved a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of manual grunt work for, um, you know, all the teams and um, reduced number of like Excel sheets, which were floating around the org. So a lot of data error also uh, reduced. So this was my first, um, you know, experience with a local no code tool. And then, you know, like um, Sid introduced me to a bunch of other tools and I um, started exploring them and I realized that there are so many things that could be done um, in so le- so much less time and less dependency, right? Um, and after exploring them for a while, I realized that no code is not about not knowing how to code. It's about 
solving the problems that are already solved by someone in a faster way for example let's say i am an engineer and um, i work at razorpay um and since i'm an engineer we can assume i'm good at uh, what i do which is programming and i would want to as an employee i would want to work on challenging projects i wouldn't want to work on something like building a landing page or building a simple automation or an app because these things have already been built so why should an engineer spend their time building something which is a non challenging problem right it they won't enjoy doing it so no code is um i would say it's a, it's obviously there for people who can't code and feel constrained but it's also for engineers who can you know let no code do the work for them like since code is already written and they can focus on bigger and better problem statements this totally makes sense i have now experienced a lot of no code and low code tools i worked in one of them which was very engineering focused uh, a low code tool that was being used by engineers um, okay and even with my dating startup the goal was simple that all right let's get this out there the first month we were literally coding and i thought that this is a waste of time there's no way we can get a better uh, app just like a tinder or bumble out there in a month or so so we basically used instagram as our no code tool and we provided the exact experience on instagram so okay. it's very cool but what do you think about when companies have to there's a big difference over here right like companies can definitely use no code and low code tools to experiment but to actually integrate within their entire stack they have to now always worry about they have a dependency on this new product and number 2 they have they have to always worry about efficiency like how better the efficiency could be if they built everything on their own if they vertically integrated everything so what do you yeah. think about that i think those two things plus there are reservations around security and also evolving it for example i built a simple landing page but when i want to let's say add authentication um connected with a database all those things it gets complicated so you you can reach up to a certain milestone with your no code journey but then scaling it up is yes it's a challenge you are right and i think that is the next thing companies are working on to make these things scalable so that they today no code tools fit really well with each other but they don't fit the best with code so that's a that's a problem statement i think companies are working on how do you make it fit with something so that uh, you know something that's an existing code so that people don't have to move out as they scale um right. and i think something like you know like retool or any low code tool is built with that um you know idea in mind that you never have to move out in fact for something like retool that we used at bounce we would have never moved out of retool because there was no reason it scaled re- really well so i think um most no code tools are built keeping in mind the customer persona who cannot code i think now it's time to build tools keeping in uh, mind the persona of engineers who can code and how can their day to day job become easier when they are building definitely definitely and now what was your story behind starting air tribe starting a cbc cohort based course on no code yes so um okay um so navneet and i connected on linkedin navneet the founder of air tribe and um, this was when you know um, air tribe wasn't even called air tribe they were okay. it was just navneet and thavel startup <laughs> and he was telling me that you know this is what i want to build and you know i think this can bring a change in how education is today uh, especially in the upskilling uh, space and we were just you know brainstorming that um, is there a cbc that i could do and he he uh, proposed you know you have been doing bunch of no code stuff why don't you um, do a cbc with us and this was during the time when not even like one cbc uh, of airtrive had been launched so it was like pretty early um in terms of how long it was just like last year january uh, 2021 so not that long which actually shows how fast airtrive has grown 
uh, but yeah, uh, we had a chat. Um, I actually loved the idea. Uh, we initially thought we'll do a CGC on just local tools, but then we thought that would limit the number of people who could find this useful and meaningful. So we thought, why not just cover a landscape of tools because it's like covering multiple tech stacks. If if I had to draw an analogy, so um, you know, they don't like individually. They can do a bit, but together, like multiple no code no code tools working together can do a lot. So that's when we decided let's make this a CDC around building MVPs using no code tools. And then we kept chatting, uh, took a while to decide the right curriculum because like I was doing it for the first time. Like I've taken, I've taken like sessions one or two hours long on no code tools, but doing like a four week long CDC, um, curating the right content, making sure the live classes actually give some kind of gratification to the learners because like usually in online courses, people get demotivated really fast. Um, so figuring all those things took a while. Then we um, launched the CVC sometime in July, August. This was Airtribe's third CVC, so was like was lucky and happy to be part of um, you know the team since day one. Um, and I think yeah, I think the fact that people who actually joined the CVC could find some meaning out of it could actually you know people who were coming from non-tech backgrounds who felt constrained all the time that hey I can't build because I can't code. The fact that they were able to build their working applications was um, a super fulfilling experience for me. And now I'm launching my cohort too um, in July. Um, this time much bigger and hoping it's better than the last time. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. Definitely. So this is your second cohort? Yes. Okay, makes sense. And I saw a dollar sign over there. So what is the distribution between your demographic, between your uh, customers? Uh, how much is India? How much is international? Last time we had one learner from US and okay. rest were Indians. This time so far, all our learners are from India. Okay, got yeah. it, got it. And yeah, like what is the experience of running a CVC? Uh, how better do you think, like you definitely would have got a lot of testimonials. How better do you think it is from normal Coursera like uh, course? Yeah, so um, I think I'm a like strong believer of self-learning. That is how I learned most of the things. Like I, I don't remember uh, paying a high amount for any of the things I've learned. Like I've, I, I think the only time I spent um, money on a course was Udemy probably for learning web development. Um, but yeah, most of the things I've learned, either whether it's product management or uh, no code tools, um, it's it has either been on the job or through you know like searching things online. But it took me a while. Like I know I know people uh, who have done it way faster than I have done it, right? And the difference is that, you know, maybe they had the right mentor or they had the right resources. I took a lot of time to find those right resources. Um, even when in college, you know, my I, I knew that people who were like studying computer science um, got to learn a lot of stuff much faster than I did because uh, I didn't know like where to start. So just figuring out that part that where to start takes a lot of time. So I think live learning format works very well for people who don't want to spend a lot of time figuring out where to start. And it doesn't make sense if someone else has figured out, just learn from them. It will save you a lot of time. So I, I, I mean, um, a lot of learners ask me this very often that um, why should we you know, pay this much amount to join a live learning program when the same thing is available online you know, in different uh, forms of content. And my answer is you know, very simple that it depends on what kind of person you are. Some people you know, just enjoy Googling the whole day and searching things. That is me. I, I just like, whenever I'm not working, I'm just reading online, looking at stuff, learning new things. And it's a very tedious and time consuming process. But if, I, you, if you have a set goal in mind, if you want to learn something particular, 
and you know this person has already done that which is in my case no code you should join this course and um you know just learn faster then instead of it took me like what two three years to um learn what i know today uh i am um sharing my knowledge of like three years in four weeks with someone right and i think that that's the advantage anyone would get if they you know um do a live learning program definitely this makes a lot of sense i believe that we are obviously like you know we talk a lot about degrees don't matter stuff like that and now it's even more important to like you know keep upskilling yourself with these short courses these courses are not for you to show as a badge of honor that okay you have finished that course it's more about that okay you are invested in your growth it's it's not for showing off it's more about you yeah. developing your skills uh but i'm actually curious so what is the time commitment for you to run a cbc okay um i think um you know so time commitment can be broken down into three parts one is the time pre course i put to create all the resources pre reads uh designing the curriculum talking to guest speakers figuring out who would be the best one for this particular cohort curating the cohort reviewing applications it's not like we accept everyone we go through their application make sure that what they are looking for is what we are meeting through the course uh so that is what that is a pre course work that happens during the course we have live classes so that's like um 180 minutes to you know i think yeah mostly 180 minutes which is like two sessions of 90 minutes every week and then on weekends there are like office hours where you know i do like one on one uh one on ones with learners help them with their doubts because everyone is working on a different problem statement um i think yeah that that takes a lot of time and uh, so yeah i think these these are the three things you know pre course live sessions and office hours during the weekends um if i had to put a number i think it completely depends on the cohort size because you know like um pre course and live sessions would still remain constant but the office hours increases as the cohort size increases so i think yeah it it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience like i think i've become a much more patient person while trying to uh, teach no code because it's almost like coding live in front of an audience so and then they you know everyone will ask questions hey how did you do that particular thing how did you change the color how did you add a gradient and you have to like patiently sometimes repeat the same thing 10 times and you just can't um from a instructor point of view can't get like frustrated or bored of doing right. that <laughs> because from a learner's point of view like you know we all had that one favorite teacher in school right who was so patient and so kind so you should you at least try to be that person for um all the learners who empathizes with them and is like you know patient no matter how many times you ask the same question so yeah right what do you think about teaching as a profession versus product management um i think i have always loved solving problems right so discovering problems being like oh wow oh my god i know about this problem and then doing something for people and solving it and i think both teaching and product management are two different ways to do it at least in my case right so i and being an entrepreneur is another way right so anything that helps me solve anything that lets me solve problems for people which eventually helps them at a small scale or at a large scale is something i want to keep doing um, in my career so i i won't say i can compare teaching and product management um, it's not an apples to apples comparison but um, the similarity both have is that it lets me uh, solve problems for people right i'm just curious about this so what is the pipeline of or how does this look like from getting into your course building an mvp to then joining your razorpay rice program have you seen have you seen any product going from there 
I so um, my last cohort was last year when Razor Pay Rice did not exist. Oh, right. So okay. I'm I'm actually looking forward for this <laughs> to happen. Like, um, but just to share one story from last cohort. So I had this learner, um, Saurabh. He, you know, in the cohort, he mentioned that he's here because he wants to build something as a side project. And we kept kept discussing it as a side project, and you know, I kept helping him that hey, okay, you can do it. Um, you can take this approach and all. And today he has a company. Incorporated, funded, so that has been the progress in the last one year, and it's it's like a success story. I'm like really proud of what he has done. So it it just makes me. That's happy. really cool, right? That's really cool. Can you share like what product he was building back then and what the company is now? So um, he was like, um, so it's a quick commerce, uh, you know, service. Um, so they are solving it for different sectors. They're doing it for like uh, pharmacy. uh laundry food delivery of course groceries um everything that you can imagine that could be delivered uh, in a two wheeler is something they're trying to solve and it's not a dark store model they are like doing this in direct partnership with the stores the same kirana stores that we go used to go to uh, not anymore so often um so yeah this is what he um, you know is building right now and um, they are uh, operating from pune have um covered bunch of sectors in pune uh you know reached a large number of orders have been touching one milestone after uh, one after the other um during the cohort uh, he was exploring a lot of tools to build dashboards to manage these ops you know with a, when you have a fleet uh, you know building the consumer app is more like a known problem but building like dashboards to manage your fleet and you know their payments and everything um is something that he was exploring back then Right. Okay. Really cool. All right. So I'm just curious now that what are other things that you're exploring other than what Razorpay is doing, other pay, other than your CBC course. What are other products, other people, other technologies that you're exploring? So I am very, um, I'm very keen on learning about Dev Tools. Uh, that is one space I'm very interested in. So I keep uh, looking at what are the new tools, what are the problems being solved for engineers, because like. Um, I I really enjoy programming. I still code sometimes. Um, not very complicated things, but uh, tech is something I love. So any any you know tools built for engineers is something I um really really look forward to. So that is one space I've been like um researching and learning more about. That's really cool. And what about the entire crypto Web three stuff? Are you spending time on that as well? <laughs> um, I I don't I won't say I have depth understanding of you know either like. and i think one of the reasons could be i never spend time you know learning a lot about it so i mean i don't think i understand it enough to comment on it okay got it uh, all right so aditi this was a really good conversation thank you so much for coming on and yeah you can plug your cbc where can people find you now um so it's on airtribe.live um and uh, maybe we can put the link in the description yeah we'll put the link okay perfect Perfect. All right. Thank you so Thank much you for coming so on, Aditi. Thank you for having me, Prashant.